So we're continuing our series in the book of Luke. I looked to see what week this was, and it's in the 30s, which is pretty cool. Uh, I know y'all are like, yeah, I can believe it. Uh, but this morning we're going to be uh, Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be starting in verse 9. Uh, one more thing. Uh, good morning to everybody with us on Facebook. Uh, happy birthday to Loretta. Happy birthday to you today and many more. We won't sing because it would just be me and you wouldn't hear everybody else. So I'm not going to do that to you or me or everybody else here. All right. Luke 18 verse 9. I want to read there and then we'll pray over uh, the word today. It says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The one else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to hold it in our hand. You revealing who you are and what you do and what you have done for us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate it for us today. Teach us, train us in the ways of the kingdom in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So this is another story that Jesus told. You know, last week we had the parable of the persistent widow. Uh, a few weeks ago we had uh, the, the parable of the lost coin, the lost son, the lost sheep, the parable of the shrewd manager. Uh, other ones in there. It's another teaching, a story that he told to have an effect. And in this one it says he told to a very specific group of people. It says, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So I'm thankful that Jesus will tell us the stories that we need to hear. Right. He wasn't just talking about these people to others like, yeah, you see these people, I'm going to tell you about them. He was talking to them. He's like, this is for you. This will help you. This may save your life. This story explains how we are justified before God and, and how that affects how we see God, how we see ourselves and how we see others. So it teaches us how we're justified and how we see God because of that, how we see ourselves and how we see others. And we'll, we'll get into that. I want to share with you a story about how I got this wrong and how God set me right on it. Um, Everybody in here has a cell phone. And if you have a cell phone, you get spam calls and scam calls, right? The spam calls are the ones you answer, hello, and it's just some recording. I want to talk to you about extended warranty or this is we're from Social Security or whatever it says. But what I get a lot of times in between those are actual people on the other end of the line, right? You talk to an actual person and they're trying to scam you, trick you 
into thinking that they work for a company that they don't work for and that they need you to do something that is going to essentially cost you money. They're going to steal from you. Everybody dealt with these, right? We don't have to get into that. And, and stealing and dishonesty, not like it's not a big deal for everybody, but it bothers me at like a deep level. Like it always has. I don't know if it's because like inside, like, well, if you're stealing from me or lying to me, then that's you telling me you think I'm stupid and I don't like that. I don't know what it is, but it just, you know, what's the old say? It grinds my gears, right? It burns me up. And so I would start uh, talking to him. And Kelly has said before, you know, Stephen's the one that the telemarketers hang up on. He doesn't hang up on them. So I would start talking to him. And especially once I realized, okay, this is a scam. This guy's lying. He's, he, this is what he does. He steals from people. You know, he uses these different things. And, and the other thing I realized is that they're usually from a foreign country, right? They're not from here, different culture. And so at first I was like, you're a liar, you're a thief, you need to stop what you're doing, you're just awful. And they, they would cuss at me in their language and they would hang up. And so one day when I was talking to one of them, it kind of struck me, I was like, I'm going to ask him if his parents know what he's doing. Like, does your mom know? Does your dad know what you're doing? And would they be proud of you? Well, that lights them on fire. Most of the, I mean, they just, we really, and so I'm like, yeah, I really, really stuck it to that one. And, and so I was talking to one on the phone one day, because I'd gotten a series of them in a row. And I was talking to one and I told him that. And he was like, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. I was like, no, I understand. I understand exactly what you're doing. You're lying and you're stealing and it's off, you know. And, and then he, he broke and he said, what am I supposed to do, man? You tell me what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? And I was blank. Because my heart wasn't there for him. You know, I was like, yeah, you're terrible. You're awful. Look at you, stealing. Stop stealing. And I was just hammering him. And then he broke and I wasn't ready for that. And so I tried to, and I tried to catch up and it didn't go anywhere. And he, he gets off the phone and that just gnawed at me. Him saying, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do, man? You tell me, what am I supposed to do? Because what I heard him saying, as I'm thinking about it, is like he lives in a place where there's not a lot of opportunity. And they're offering him more money than he can make doing an honest living. And these people are far away and he thinks it's not as bad. And this maybe is the way he feeds his family. Maybe it's the way that he gets the things that he, that he needs. And it bothered me. Because I was like, God, I missed an opportunity with this one. I won't miss it with the next one. Give me another one. Give me another one. And I waited and I got one. I was sitting in the living room. It's like seven o'clock at night. We're watching TV and the phone rings and it's obviously one of those. And I'm like, so I mute the TV and I pick it up and start talking. And of course, definitely scam, trying to steal, trying to lie. And I go the same route. I'm like, do your parents know what you're doing, man? After I play along with them for a little bit, right? Okay, while I'm, while I'm going to get my bank statement to give you my account number, let me ask you this. And he had the same thing. He said, what am I supposed to do? Come on, man. Come on, what, what am I supposed to do? I said, what I hear you saying is that you want things that you don't have. And you see this is the only way you're going to get them. But let me tell you, you have to lay down at night and go to sleep with your eyes closed and nobody else there but you and know that you stole to get this and you lied to get this. And when you get it, it won't be enough. The only thing that'll be enough for you is Jesus. And I start preaching. And he was listening. And I got down to it and I was like, Lord, what do I need to do? He's like, ask him if you can pray for him. Can I pray for you? And I expected him to say no. I expected him to hang up. He told me his name was Daniel. You know, hello, this is Daniel. And I was calling his name wasn't Daniel. <laughs> but I said, can I pray for you? And he said, yes. 
And so I'm praying for him. I even said, God, pray for Daniel. I don't even think that's his name, but you know what his name is. And he kind of laughed. I prayed for him. And then we get to the end of it. I said, listen, man, I hope you take this to heart. And he said, thank you. I'm going to take you off the list. <laughs> they're, they're telemarketer list. So I hang up the phone and Kelly's lady was like, did you just pray for us? <laughs> for a telemarketer. I was like, he wasn't a telemarketer. And so I'm telling her, I'm just crying. I was like, because I, I, it changed the way that I saw the situation because I was just going at him based on what he was doing and forgetting that there was an actual person on the other end of the line. Why is he doing this? And I've got a chance to, if he, now again, they still don't, I, I tried to, I got one the other day and he wasn't, he wasn't trying to listen, but he at least got to hear that same stretch that Daniel got to hear. And I hope that um, it, it, it rings true with him. Uh, but, but that was where I got it wrong. I got the, what we're going to talk about today. That's how I got it wrong. And God set me to write. It says Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned others. And that's what I was doing at some level. I was scorning these guys. It's like, man, you're just a thief. You're just a liar. You, you know, get gone. But I was like, hold on, hold on. They are. Yes, they are thieves. They are liars. But but why, you, you don't handle them that way. And so I benefit from this lesson. He tells a story and he said, there's two men that went to the temple to pray. There was a Pharisee and the Pharisee, uh, we know who they are, uh, religious experts, Bible experts, Old Testament experts, all star observers of the law, right? If anybody was, it was them. And we'll see that in what he says. He says there was a Pharisee and there was a tax collector. And then my translation even says it was a despised tax collector to remind us that they were not not only were they not liked, but they were hated because the tax collectors were of the Jewish community of the nation of Israel. And then they bought the rights from Rome to raise taxes for Rome from the people of Israel for the purpose of funding the occupation and the oppression of the people. So it would be like if China, you know, took us over completely and I said, hey, if I give you some money, can I come work for you? And then I'll go put, take the taxes from everybody else that I know so that it can pay for you to have your soldiers here. We'll feed them, we'll house them with the money I bring in. And then they were just doing terrible things to the community. So you can see what type of reputation these people would have. They are helping the enemy do terrible things to the nation. So that's why he's a despised tax collector. And so we had the Pharisee first and he's standing there praying to God. And now his prayer, if you've heard this before, the Pharisee's prayer gets a bad rap. Gets a bad rap. Oh, his prayer is awful. He prayed an awful prayer. But as I'm reading it, if we look at it, let's see if we can find a problem with it. It says he stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. Thank you, God. I'm not a sinner. I don't do wrong. Doesn't sound right. He didn't say, I thank myself that I'm not a sinner. He said, thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. Those things are good too, right? To not do. He said, I'm certainly not like this tax collector. That's the part I think that people, are, you know, maybe that's a little bit shady. I don't, know if they, I don't think the guy heard him. And it's a story. It's fictional that Jesus told. He said, I'm certainly not like the tax collector. Because again, we don't want to be like the tax collector. He said, I'm certainly not like him. I even fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income to the temple. Fasting twice a week. And they would tithe on everything. 
So like if they went to the market and bought uh, bread, they would tithe on the bread that they bought. Like they took it to as far as you could go, as far as observance. And I think it's neat that Jesus used two of the toughest, you know, ones for us, fasting and giving. He didn't say, you know, I'm, I'm always in the temple every time it's open or I sing the loudest whenever there's a singing. He's like, no, I fast and I, I, and I, and I tithe everything. So, so you're going down through those things. And you're like, well, I don't, it, it's good not to be a sinner. It's good to thank God that you're, you're not a sinner and that you're not like those that are and that you're, that you do the things that you do. And then it goes to the tax collector and it says the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his head, uh, his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me because I am a sinner. So you have the Pharisee and you have the tax collector and Jesus finishes it with, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. So the tax collector, not the Pharisee, returned home justified. And if it just said the tax collector returned home justified before God, we will go, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Right. But it throws in there the Pharisee did not return home justified. And so what do we mean when we say justified? To be justified before God means to be declared righteous or that you are the way you ought to be. Righteousness, justification, that you are the way you ought to be. When something is justified, it means the wrong is taken off of it, right? It means, oh, you thought I was guilty of this, but no, here's what really happened. And they go, okay, that in that situation, what you did was justified, meaning it, it wasn't wrong, right? It takes the wrong off of something. And so remember, there is something wrong with us. We are sinners before God, rebels against the king. We are traitors. We are broken and unrighteous. And because of that, we require, for lack of a better word, fixing to be made righteous or to be made as we ought to be in the eyes of God. Romans three, Romans chapter three and verse 20 says no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. That's step one, because that's what we want to know first. Oh, there's something wrong with me. How do I fix it? How do I fix what's wrong with me? And he's saying that you, you can follow all the rules of the law or try to follow all the rules of the law and it will not make you righteous before God. Because that, again, that's our first question. Something's wrong, I'll fix it. Or you're telling me you think there's something wrong with me and I'm going to prove to you there's not. Watch, because I do this and this and this. So you're wrong. I, there's nothing wrong with me. It must be something wrong with you. And so we see that in the Pharisee. The Pharisee is saying, there's nothing wrong with me. Look, I don't do X, Y, and Z, and I do A, B, and C. There's nothing wrong with me. Look at all the good I'm doing for you, God, and all the bad that I'm not doing. And again, the things that he was doing are good things to do. And the things he wasn't doing are good things not to do. He said, I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. Those are good things not to do. 
but doing good things and not doing bad things will never be enough to justify us in the eyes of God. It'll never be enough to make us righteous in the eyes of God, to take the wrong off of us, to make us as we ought to be. Doing the right things and not doing the wrong things will never be enough. And remember who Jesus was telling this to. He was telling this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Now, why does that, if I have confidence in my own righteousness, why does it cause me to scorn everybody else? Because they're not doing what I am doing or they are doing what I'm not doing. So I'm comparing myself to them and it pushes me up while pushing them down. We, we call it self-righteousness. And I'm self, I've considered myself to be righteous based on what I do, that I'm, that I'm right, that I am the way I ought to be because of what I do. And again, Romans 3 said, no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Romans 3, a few verses down also says, for everyone has sinned. Everyone is a sinner and falls short of God's glorious standards, short of reaching God's glory. We, we've heard that. Hey, hey, now all have sinned. And fall, yes, all have sinned and fallen short of reaching the glory of God that we were, we were designed to live in. It says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So you see there it says we're all sinners and yet God freely and graciously declares us righteous. Why? Because of the things that we did? Because of the things that we didn't do? No. He declares us righteous through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, which we know is death and destruction. And how we see that matters. How we see that, how are we justified? How we see it matters because one went away justified and one didn't. And so again, the question that this story has us ask is how are we justified? And how does knowing that affect how I see God, how I see myself, and how I see others? See, because we can minimize Christ's work in our life to think that he just gave us the one missing piece, right? That I was doing pretty good, but you know what? I got this, you know, I got this God-shaped hole in my heart, but he gave me that one little piece and now I'm complete and that's what I needed. And we can minimize his work to that because he wasn't just giving us something that we didn't have. He was changing us into something that we couldn't be on our own, something we could never be on our own, which was righteous. See, again, we, we think he just made, well, I was sick and he made me better. No, you were dead and he made you alive. It's a big, big, big difference. Okay, picture this. It's a really absurd example. I understand that. Hang in there with me. Say there's a man. We'll call him Tim. Any resemblance to regular people is, this is completely fictional. But this man named Tim dies and goes to the gates of heaven. And there he's met. And he's told, 
I'm sorry, Tim. This heaven is only for dolphins. I'm sorry, Tim. You can't come in here because this is dolphin heaven and you are obviously not a dolphin. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Look, look, I totally am a dolphin. Watch how I swim. <laughs> See, I'm swimming. See? It's like, yeah, no, no. Again, this is for dolphins, and you're not. I, no, see, I, I even sound like it. <laughs> see, see, totally a dolphin. No, 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 no. Again, this is for dolphins. Only, only dolphins can come in, and that's not what you are, right? And I know that's a silly example. But I, I hope it rings to us that if we show up and say, oh, no, no, you don't understand. I'm a Christian. I go to church. You don't understand. I, I'm a Christian. I, I, we, we pray before we eat. Because you can't do the things a dolphin does and consider yourself to be a dolphin. You can't do the things a Christian does and automatically be. That doesn't make you a child of God. Again, he doesn't want to give you something that's missing. He wants to change you into what you should be instead. And it's as impossible as fictional Tim trying to change himself into a dolphin as it is for me to try to make myself righteous. It's just as impossible. He doesn't want to give us something that is something new. He wants to make us something new. He wants to make us new, something only he can do. Amen. So, again, we've got the Pharisee and we've got the tax collector. So let's have another little imaginary thing here outside of the scripture. This is just hypothetical. Let's say that they leave from the temple that day. And instead of going home when they're on the road, they're trampled down by a stampede of camels. Just run completely down and they end up at the gates of heaven. And when you get to the gates of heaven, I don't believe this question is going to be asked. But in our little hypothetical, let's say that it's asked. What's your claim to be here? Why should you get to come in? And the Pharisee would say, according to his prayer, oh, you're probably happy that I'm here. I'm not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like this guy. This tax collector, and I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income, right? And then the tax collector, when he's asked, What's your claim to be here? Why should we let you in? His answer, based on his prayer, would be, You shouldn't. You shouldn't let me in. Just like I just prayed, I'm a sinner. The only hope I have is that you would be merciful to me. The only hope I have is mercy. And that's our claim, our only claim to get in, to get home. It's not, hey, I, I preached this. Hey, I sang that. Hey, I fed some hungry people. Hey, I did this. None of that gets us home. The only thing that gets us home is, no, Jesus. Jesus is the only reason that you should let me in. Jesus is the only reason that I deserve to be here. And you see that vast difference between those two saying, why I should get in? It's a vast difference. Again, the dolphin example. He's not trying to give us just the missing piece. Well, if I could just get this lined out, uh -uh -uh. he's wanting to transform you into something that you were never able to be before. 
completely new. If any man, person, be in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. Not he's a better man. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have been created, made new, not by what the man did, but by what Christ has done. That is justification by grace through faith. That we go from sinner to righteous. That's why we use terms. Jesus said, you must be born again. You have to be changed. Born again by the power of the Spirit. So here's the danger that, that we have as, as we're thinking through this. And we're getting close to being, being done. Here's the danger that we have, especially where we live in, in, the, in the South. The danger is that we'll do the things that a Christian does and think that we're good. The danger is we'll only do some of the things that a Christian does and think that we are Good, never having thrown ourselves on the mercy of Christ to be changed. Never seeing that deep, distressing need that the tax collector saw in his own life that the Pharisee did not in the story. That we'll do the things a Christian does and consider ourselves to be a Christian. And that there would be no transformation, no love of God, no love for others, but we check that box. We think we're good. Why? Because we could say like tax collector, or we could say like the Pharisee, at least I'm not like this group of morons over here. At least I'm doing better than them. Man, look at them. Aren't they awful? See, I'm actually doing okay. And measuring ourselves against other people instead of the holy standard of Jesus Christ, which we all fall short of. Now, do we have to be like the tax collector every day, be sorrowful and beating our chest, go, I'm just terrible again. Do we have to keep doing that? Is that a daily thing for us? God, be merciful. I'm a sinner. No, no. But we need to always remember what it felt like to be one. We need to always remember what it felt like to have that punishment, that, that distress hanging over us and understanding that anything good that comes in our life after that is by his grace. It was by his grace that we had people come along and say, hey, you should check this Bible out. You should get in here and see what this says about life, because it's going to open up all kinds of new things for you. Because, see, he transforms us and he teaches us and he matures us and we get better and we do better and we learn. I don't need to do that. That's wrong. That's not right at all. That's not right before God or people. I need to do this instead. So we get better and we get good at doing the right things. And then we get tempted to place our confidence in what we're doing instead of what he has done. Again, it is good and right, and we should want to do the right things, and we should not want to do the wrong things, but we never put our standing on what we do or what we don't do. We always throw it back up to his grace. Because the things that we've done can never be our justification. So going back to the Pharisee's prayer, his prayer was fine. His heart was wrong. 
What he said was right. God, th It's okay if you get up every day. God, I thank you I'm not a sinner. I thank you that I'm not having to live in the darkness that I was living in like these other folks are living in. God, I thank you for that. You changed me. But see, his heart was on the things that he was doing. And Jesus even says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He was exalting himself. And because of that, he would be humbled. The tax collector, on the other hand, humbled himself before God and said, I'm hopeless without you. I'm a sinner. I am completely broken. I have no hope except in you. Please show me mercy. What's he saying? I know I'm deserving of punishment. I'm asking for mercy. And it says he was justified. Amen. So the questions that it, it makes us ask, how are we justified? By grace alone, through faith alone. And then how does that affect how we see God? We see God as good and gracious and merciful as our only hope, not just now, not just when we pray the prayer, but for our whole life. And we never get far away from him thinking we can do it on our own. As we get better, as we do better, as we learn more, we still stay closed. Like I said in Colossians, our life is hidden with God in Christ. He's actually enveloping us as we grow. So it changes how we see God. It changes how we see ourselves. I am a forgiven sinner. I, I, I was a dead man who he made alive. I didn't do anything to make myself come to life. It was completely and totally his grace. And I believed in it with the faith that he also gave me, which we learned that a few weeks ago. And then I'm being transformed and changed by God's grace. And then it changes how I see others, like the young man on the other end of the phone. It's like, hold on. There's hope for him. He's not a lost cause. It doesn't matter who he is. It doesn't matter what he's done. He's a potential recipient of a necessary salvation. Amen. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. And that tells me that this is not the way he wants us to think. He wants us to have great confidence in his work. And then that opens us up to be able to love everybody else. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up with me? I want to pray as we get ready to go today. I hope this one sticks with you like the conversation that I had with the young man stuck with me. And then, Andrew, if you'll come, we'll get ready to sing right after. Because once you start doing good and things start going well, he told this to the children of Israel after they left Egypt and they had gone through the wilderness. He said, when you get to the promised land, when things get good, when there's not a shortage of food, when there aren't enemies, when there's not things that are constantly threatening to kill you and there's peace in the land and everything is going well and your flocks increase and your herds increase, that's when you'll be tempted to forget that God is the one that brought you through out of Israel, through the water, through the wilderness. He's the one that brought you to where you are. And he never wants us to forget that, not, not out of lording it over us, but when we start to forget it, that's when we start to trust in ourselves and then we're starting this, this terrible cycle back over again. Let's pray. Father, 
We are nothing without your mercy. Anything that we do, let us do it in worship and honor to you and not thinking that we're checking a box and earning our way into good standing. Let us never think that we have put you in our debt because of what we have done, but let us work with glad hearts at the right things because you took us when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses and you gave us life, that you transformed us into something that we could never be on our own. And God, we long for the day when that transformation is complete, when we see you come in the clouds or we go straight home to you. We, we look forward to that day and we understand right now we're caught in an in-between where we're being changed and transformed. Our, our future is sure, but our present, we still feel those mixed emotions and mixed affections. I thank you that you are purifying that as we grow in you, that we'll never look at anyone as a lost cause, but we'll even see a tax collector as somebody that you can turn their whole world around because you did it for us. You did the impossible for us. We know that you can do it for them. And God, I thank you for the love that this builds in our heart for you and for others. given us what we need to walk in the two greatest commandments you ever gave us. Thank you. Lord, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with each other. God, keep us safe. I thank you that as we start this week, we do so with you in mind. God, with our focus being on you, not getting so busy that we lose sight of what is most important in our life. And I thank you, Lord, that you, you work on us this week based on this story, that you'll show us areas where we're considering our own righteousness to be something to boast about and that you'll point us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the freedom that we'll find in that and the hope that we'll, that the hope that we'll feel not only for ourselves, but for others. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.